Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Cheaper Than Therapy, a podcast that journeys into conversations with the intention of demystifying, destigmatizing, and desensitizing what really gets talked about behind the closed doors of the therapy room. I'm Vanessa Bennett. And I'm Danae Selkin. And we're seekers, soul sisters, and holders of sacred space. So join us as we dive into the ways that therapy can be connecting not only to yourself, but also to those around you. This is one of these moments where I feel like the universe has my back because as we were sitting down this morning, you were like, Danae, like, what's up? Your energy feels a little, eh, you know, and I'm at this stage with my kiddo where he's not sleeping through the night quite often. I feel like there's a lot of like mommy resistance. And I was like, I'm fine. Everything's fine. I feel so much lighter after this conversation. It's amazing. Yeah. I think I need to have her on speed dial. <laughs> Like, can you be my coach forever with parenting? Cause you know, even as therapists, like we know this stuff, like left brain logical, know this stuff, but like, sometimes you forget your way, you know, sometimes it's like, it gets muddy and cloudy and you just need somebody to remind you of like your knowing, right. Like knowing through your central, like just head down through your heart, through your soul, not just your logical knowing. And she has a way of doing that. I think both times we've talked to her. So, um, you know, and this isn't just for parents. I don't, I I think this episode just isn't just for parents. And I'm pretty sure we probably said that last time she was here, you know, it's for anybody who really just wants to be more conscious. It's anybody who wants to be more aware of how their, um, household dynamics growing up, how their family of origin growing up, how that affects how you move through the world today and the kind of relationships you have today and and really challenges or poses the question, do you want to change those? Do you want those relationships to be different? Do you want those relationships to be more based in respect and in love? Um, and if that answer is yes, then then what she says is important. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, it's reparenting work, which we talk about constantly, right? So like whether you have kids or not, this is sort of like the going back into your childhood to understand what happened to you, how you were held, how you were met, and maybe starting to meet yourself now in some of those ways that you weren't met, um, Mm -hmm. giving yourself some of that Mm -hmm. love and respect that maybe you didn't get. But I think we have to understand what it felt like for us as kids first. Right. Rather than expect those around us to meet it for us. Mm. Whether that's kid, whether that's partner, whether that's friend, whether that's whoever, you know, they can't be the, they can't be those plugs in those holes in our soul. Like we have to plug those holes ourselves. We have to not just plug them. We have to heal them. Mm. Um, And nobody else can do that for us, but us. I'm so grateful. She came back. I really love this guest. Uh, You guys are going to so much enjoy this. So enjoy our conversation with Catherine Celery. We have our first repeat guest here with us, and it's somebody that today and I were actually really excited to bring back. Um, so today we're talking again with Catherine Winter Celery, uh, and she is actually so she was she was with us back in November of 2020, which feels like a literal lifetime ago. Catherine is a three-time TEDx speaker. She's a parenting coach. She's a mom of two, um, and for over 20 years, she's actually been helping families thrive by using a guidance approach to parenting that is called conscious parenting. Um, and we talked a lot about it in our last you know, episode together, but I'm sure we'll go over some, some stuff again for anybody who's new, who doesn't you know, know you and your background. And I think that's actually a really good place to start is like, tell us how you became to be who you are. <laughs> Take us on the journey of Catherine Winterson. <laughs> oh, how so, well, first of all, love you guys. I'm so Aww. excited to be back here. Like I do tons of podcasts and honestly, you're my faves. So, I mean, that comes from my heart and um, yeah, I mean, we just have so much synergy and I love, love, love the last time. I can't believe, was it really like yeah, a year ago? Wow. I was blown. So yeah, like all, I mean, like so many of us, I suppose we end up, you know, doing what we do um, because of like our background, our life stories, our history, what, what happened to us. Right. So I would say I had a, you know, a family that loved me for sure. And um, were incredibly unconscious in the parenting, you know, realm. So there was harm done. And I, you know, I feel like, you know, I'm I'm card carrying. I won't, you know, let that happen to anybody else. (laughs) Yeah. Amen. So that's been sort of the fuel behind the movement. I had a brother who died by suicide when I was in high school. And I know so much of the pain came from um, just being not seen, not heard, not understood, not known from his perspective, it was more about being judged as uncooperative or the bad kid or the one that was just always in trouble. And, you know, what, you know, what I remember is the narrative was, oh, you know, your brother, Chris, and all this kind of stuff. And honestly, you know, I didn't see it any differently than they did, to be quite honest, until my adult life. And then all of a sudden, for so many different reasons, I could finally get above it all. Yeah and realize that I talk a lot about the reactions and that he was in a reaction to pretty much everything his entire life. Mm -hmm. And that I don't think is such a special story. I think it's a common story and it's happened to many other people as well, where they're not understood Mm -hmm. and they aren't seen for the pain that they're in. And what they are expressing is the tragic expression of their unmet needs. And rather than being seen as the presenting problem, not the problem, it really, it's that whole framework of, 
well, what's the problem behind the problem? That's the real problem. Right. They're just bringing the problem to us and bringing light to it, but they're not actually exactly. a problem, right? it's family systems. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. However, you know, like that's not really commonly known. It's extraordinary to me. It seems so obvious, but then I think about when it wasn't obvious to me and that even that becoming obvious to me was a journey. Yeah. And there were so many parts to the journey. And part of that was, um, I think, you know, I, I feel like we talked about this last time, but I'll just touch on it again. This idea of the child being confected by the caregiver mm-hmm. and the caregiver who's also in a lot of pain. In this case, the mother was really the primary caregiver. And, you know, they had their own like stuff happen in their tragic backgrounds. And it just gets carried forward. This transgenerational trauma just gets passed on like a baton in a, in a relay race. And so when that's brought forward and they were never seen, heard and understood from their perspective, then they demand that their child see or children see, hear and understand them always. And there's only one perspective in the room. And I know that one all too well. (laughs) That's one of those like, yeah, and it's theirs. (laughs) And if you don't see it and feel it the way you're supposed to, you're disrespectful Mm -hmm. and you're a problem child Mm -hmm. and there's something wrong with you. And how are we going to get you to behave? And, you know, I mean, I I just feel that pain so deeply and so true. Right. And so I feel like now that I awoke to the cathecting and one of my Ted talks is actually about that whole journey of like waking up to, Oh my God, am I unconscious? Have I been under some sort of spell? I didn't even know I was under this spell. Of course you don't. That's part of the spell is that you don't even know why it's unconscious. (laughs) That's why it's unconscious. Yeah. And so I was like, Oh my gosh, I see everything differently. Did you ever see wicked on Broadway? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, freaking love that show. It's like everything about it. If I feel like that's my life, it's like all of a sudden you go, "Oh my gosh, the Wicked Witch of the West wasn't so wicked," and you know, Glenda isn't all you know all great. And the whole like everything turning inside and out is exactly what I experienced as an adult finally waking up and um, being able to reflect and go, "Oh my gosh." You know, that what, was though, just a tragic expression. I will say I've had this conversation multiple times, like with my partner, with other people, <laughs> there's a little part of me sometimes that feels like ignorance is bliss. Like now oh, there's as, no a, doubt as about a parent, it. right. There's sometimes where I'm like this constantly being aware and constantly thinking and being responsible for my own emotions <laughs> and like making sure that I respond appropriately. How did that, re- you know, how did that land? It can be but, exhausting. Yeah. Yeah, I do want to jump in on that because I will say, Catherine, that is to me, what was the most refreshing aspect of the conversation with you and why, as opposed to so many of the co-parenting experts that are out here that I find exactly like Vanessa is speaking to so many of the, the parents that I work with are just so like, wait, what is the dialogue I'm supposed to say? What is the correct thing to say in this moment? Am I going to screw up my kid if I do this? And what you said that I really clung on to last time was treating this child like a human being is so much like fundamentally what this is, right? Like I remember you giving the example of, I think it was your daughter and your father and them sort of having some sort of conflict and you coming into the room and saying to both of them, 
tell me about what happened guys versus like um, talking to the child, like inevitably the child is wrong because they're the child they're and the they child. need to go to their room and they're in trouble. And I, I was just so like, God, that makes so much sense. And I have found myself consistently practicing that like with my kid's mm -hmm. dad and like something will be going on. And I'll say to both of them, like, what happened you two? Like what's, yeah. what's going on here? <laughs> I'm sure yeah. he loves that by the way. <laughs> but the thing is like, I really ugh, sort of clung on to the idea. Like we come from this paradigm of because these people are younger than us, they are somehow less human than yeah. us. And yeah. I think there's deserving of, of like less respect, right? Yeah. There's a sense yeah. of injustice that children feel. And I remember feeling that way. Like, how is yeah. what I feel less relevant than what you feel? Or yeah. you know, like, I don't get to have my say in the conversation just because I'm a child. Like mm -hmm. that's, if I think, I don't know, if we just like sort of keep it at that baseline, it just feels simpler as a parent to me, mm -hmm. you know? Absolutely. I mean, you know, my little drum that I beat every day is children are people too. Mm. Children are people too they have feelings, they have needs. They're just like you. They're just like me. And they are the great marginalized community that nobody talks about. We have ageism. It's so thick and so deep that we don't even know it's a prejudice. Yeah. We know the other ones, mm -hmm. but we don't know this one. And that's the one that I'm just bringing to light all the time because children's behaviors are seen as good, bad, right, wrong. Yeah. They're not just seen as a reflection of their underlying unmet needs or a reflection of their needs being met, just like the rest of us. You know, we're stroppy when we're upset about something and our needs aren't being met for whatever it might be. And so are they, except they have even fewer tools to express their inner world than we do, presumably. I mean, there are a lot of adults who don't have a lot of tools either, let's be honest, because they didn't learn them as children and nobody taught them along the way. And I remember my daughter saying to me at one point, mommy, she would never have spoken to you that way. So at like five years old, Pia was able to tell the difference yeah. between an adult and how they would talk to me as another adult and how they talk to her. And she could pick up on the prejudice that most children don't ever notice because they don't ever have a contrast mm -hmm. to notice it, but she did. And she was able to say, that's not right, mommy, you know? And I mean, we spent a lot of her childhood talking about the injustices that were going on around her all the time because people, because it was a child saying it, if it was contrary to the adult, they honestly didn't believe the adult. Like she would have a tummy ache mm -hmm. and, you know, she was a little bit frail as a little kid and she, she got sick a lot and she had, you know, to run to the bathroom a lot and all this kind of stuff. And there was always the assumption that this child is trying to take advantage of me, trying to get that they're trying to get out of it, that they're drawing attention to themselves for, you know, this, that, or the other thing, rather than gosh, she's just suffering and she just needs some support and she just needs to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. um, and I just remember how touching it was for me, for her to go through that. And I even remember, you know, here, let's be honest. I can remember her saying to me at around 16, mom, don't marginalize my feelings. Oh, okay. <laughs> <I love> <laughs> You're like, what? Well, there's that mirror. <laughs> I know. Right. And I was like, it took my breath away. And we ended up having the most profound conversation. And I remember saying to her, I'm probably going to cry, but I said to her, if I had had this conversation with my mom, when I was your age, it would have changed my life. So let's not underestimate the power of these conversations that are authentic, that go to the truth of like, what are you going through? And a child who can stand up and say to their mom, I feel like you're marginalizing my feelings mm -hmm. like that, that is the relationship you want. Yeah, absolutely.
Yeah, I think there's so much power in meeting whatever our children are experiencing with curiosity. You know, I I realized the other day that my son has this way of saying, um, you know, like when he's frustrated with whatever the thing is that I'm asking him to do that he won't do, he started <laughs> saying like, you have no choice. You have no voice back at me. And I realized that it's like really frustrating him and the way that he processes things for me to just say like, this is what you have to do. He wants options, right? Like he wants uh, like, you, like we can do this or we can do this and you get to choose. But I was like, oh, he just, he wants a choice. And somehow saying, bud, here's what we can do. We, you have option A or option B. It's yeah. been so like, I watch his nervous system calm when I give yeah. him those options, but he was like attempting to express like in his anger as he stomped away, he was like, you have no choice, mommy. And like, you know, showing me where he was feeling frustrated. Yeah. And so clear, such a clear message. I mean, none of us like demand language. Mm. And when we use demand language rather than that request language, which is essentially what he was saying to me, you know, can I have a request here? Mm -hmm. I have a say, <laughs> can, can I be a person, right? Just a little request here over here, you know, but, you know, we come in like, you know, army generals yes. and we just like, you're going to do this and you're going to, you know, there's time for that. And there's no consideration for what came before and what they were in the middle of. And mm. when they don't do it, then they get in trouble. And that actually was the, the story I told last time about my dad watching my daughter Pia and I had gone out. And when I came back, you know, I'm like, dad, where's, where's Pia. And he's like, well, she, she, um, she disrespected me. Those were his words. Mm -hmm. She disrespected me. Oh my God, honey, what happened? Well, I told her it was time for lunch and she didn't come. <laughs> yeah. She didn't come. And when I spoke to Pia, she was like, I was just finishing my drawing mommy. I was just finishing my drawing. I don't even know what disrespect means, yeah. but obviously it wasn't what I was doing. Right. And then it was like, Oh, we've had a breakdown here. But, but the beauty of that is Sorry. that my dad later came to me and said, it's a better way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's profound. I can't and ever imagine like getting that. <laughs> yeah. At 87 year old, I just let him sit with it. You know, we did my little mediation. And then a couple hours later, he came to me tears in his eyes, you know, it's a better way. Because it doesn't feel good for us to be that general. It doesn't feel good. Like I was at Vanessa's house this weekend and I just like, I felt so flooded with my frustration as a parent. And, you know, we sort of like hashed it out later and we realized like my kiddo was probably having a pretty strong response to like how I get like really excited about her 18 month old. Right. And like, she's so cute and little mm -hmm. and like, and he was sort of like, you know, like it's not bad, living, right? right? Chop liver. Am I no yeah. longer cute? <laughs> and I was like, what is going on with you, buddy? Like, why are you acting like this? And the minute we left, it was like, he was fine. But I think it's, I don't know. It's just so interesting. Like how yeah. it feels for us sometimes. Like I was feeling like such a bad person. I was feeling so bad about myself in that space of frustration. And I think to the point yeah. about your dad, it just feels better to try to find a solution where everybody gets to feel okay about who they are because parents don't want to feel like they're like monster generals at their children either. Exactly. And, you know, and I also want to just add to that, that, you know, with my dad, the beauty of him being able to come back was the humility mm -hmm. to be able to just recognize there is a better way yeah. and it doesn't make you bad or wrong, right? right? Yeah. The no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame, no fault, no blame, no guilt, no shame. We just say that over and over again, because when you're unconscious to something, you're unconscious to something mm -hmm. and harm is done. Of course it's done, but it's almost like there is no fault here. It's There's just no intent, like unfolding. Right? Yeah. There was no intention to do it. Thank right. you. 
It just happened because that old, like, like approach in consciousness to how we see a child and how we, we perceive this interaction when they don't want to do what we want them to do. And the way that we label it as disrespect. Oh my God. It is as though they are just an, like I talk about, you know, the remote control and they're just supposed to do what we want them to do. And we push the button, except the problem is they're not, you know, appliances. Mm -hmm. (laughs) If they were appliances, it would be one thing, but they're not appliances. So we can't get them to do what we want them to do just by, you know, pushing that button and saying, do this. I have to ask though, because I, I know it's coming up for me as a, as a question. And so I know if it's coming up for me, it's going to be coming up from other people listening. So in those instances, cause I'm, I'm with you today. Like I try, even at 18, 19 months, I try to give my, my little one choice and, you know, do you want to do this or do you want to do this? And she's at the age where 75 to 80% of the time she'll choose neither and still be like, no, and walk away. Um, no matter how many choices, even if I'm happy, you know, be happy with both choices. Like, okay, I'm bringing you to your bedroom. Do you want to walk to your bedroom or do you want me to carry you to your bedroom? She looks at me and kind of gives me a look and just walks away from me no, no matter what. Right. So <laughs> in those instances, it's like, you know, a specific example, we struggle with teeth brushing every morning, right? Mm-hmm. You have to brush your teeth before you go to school. And I try the choices and I try the, this, mm-hmm. she just doesn't do it. And there are probably 50% of the time where I do end up having, like we're running out the door. I end up having to grab her ass and hold her down and brush her damn teeth. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do that. I don't feel good about doing that. She doesn't mm-hmm. feel good about doing that. Mm-hmm. Mind you, she's kind of over it five minutes later, but like in a situation like that, just to give mm-hmm. a very concrete example, how would you coach a parent through that? Like I get it. You don't want, but it is something she has to do. Mm. And I understand that more than she understands that. Right. Because I do have mm. the life experience to understand that. So sure. how, what is that kind of, um, I guess, well, what first would be your of all, how old is she? 19 months. She doesn't get it. Obviously. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I always say we start with devel- developmental expectations. Mm-hmm. I mean, like to what extent can we expect that she's going to know what to do? Okay. Right. So what I often say to people is not everybody is auditory sequential. A lot of people are visual. And so what I would recommend you do is take some pictures of her doing all the little tasks that you expect her to do in the morning, Mm -hmm. getting up, maybe making her bed. I don't know what you expect, you know, getting dressed, brushing her teeth, having breakfast, putting her shoes on all of those little jobs. Just grab pictures of her when she's doing it. You know, they say, catch him doing it right. So catch her when on the days when she's doing it right, you grab your phone and like, boom, right? Get that photograph. Mm -hmm. And then I want you to print out some cards, Mm -hmm. like a little deck of cards. And I want you to just give her the deck of cards in the morning and say, you know, hey, sweetie, you know, every morning you do all these things. I don't even know if you realized it. And here's, I just thought I'd take some pictures of you doing all these things that you've gotten, you know, you do it right all the time. And here's your little deck of cards. So that, you know, these are the things that we need to do in the morning before you go to school mm, and see that. if that works. Yeah. Cause sometimes the auditory thing just is annoying, yeah. but if I have my little deck of cards, there's almost a sense of pride mm-hmm. in getting through all of them in this wonderful sense of accomplishment. And it saves your relationship because she sounds highly autonomous. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's yeah. <laughs> It's like next level. Even Off the charts, right? Next level. <laughs> so I'm like, like, oh dear God, we're in for it. <laughs> yeah, you're totally in for it. I mean, I had my first child, we called him Saint Sam. He was the easiest child in the world to raise. And I didn't know that until I had Pia. 
Yeah. And then I was like, oh, you know, and I was already coaching at that stage. I just had never really been tested. And then I realized, wow, you know, I've been a, I've been a like, okay, I've been a great coach, but now I'm going to be a phenomenal coach because I got Pia. I do have a question because you were saying, and there's something about the cards as you're describing it, that feels like sort of giving positive reinforcement when they're doing something well. And this is something that I have heard and, and I struggle with a little bit in the parenting coach realm um, that I've heard a lot of parenting coaches say like, do not give them positive feedback. Do not be constantly like, congrats. Good job. Like, You're doing on. amazing. <laughs> and my son responds so well to like, buddy, that's amazing. I'm so like, I, you did it. You did it. You're doing such a great job that I don't know. I find myself like, I don't care what they say. I'm getting in positive. Reality. I think the distinction is that praise, if you want to lower a child's self-esteem, praise them. So you don't want to do the praise. And I think that's probably what all these other people have said to you. However, it's very important to acknowledge. Hmm. And there's a distinction, right? So let's feel into the distinction. Yeah, please. Praise is about you have met my standards so I can tell you I'm proud of you. Okay. Right, which is why saying I'm proud of you to me is like, I'm going to go off the off the deep end here. It's like the ultimate in child abuse, mm. right? Because then it makes it all about you. And a, a, a lot of children will say, well, what if I hadn't done that? Would you still be proud of me? Like, are you only proud of me when I do the things that you want me to do? Are you proud of me when I exercise my self-determination? Are you proud of me when I say no to you? Are you, or is it only when I please you, right? So you can feel how ugh, like nasty that proud word is because it really is about, I'm proud of you when you please me, or I'm proud of you when you give me face and make me proud of what you're doing. And then it's all that sort of thing. Of, oh my God, your children are not a reflection of you right? They're a reflection of their God-given greatness. Mm. And when you can say, oh my God, you know, you take my breath away and that's not, I'm proud of you. That's completely different, but I am acknowledging the spirit that you are and the way that you show up takes my breath away. Mm. And I love the being that you be. Now that's about acknowledging them for their beauty, but not making it about how I think about you. Mm. It's kind of like this little thing accomplishment is, you know, when you work so hard on that, mm -hmm. you know, I just felt like you just put so much energy and effort. In. I really admire that. I really admire people who work that hard. Now you're just sharing a value. You're not saying I'm proud of you, but you are acknowledging them for the effort and the determination and the tenacity. So it's about, yeah, I, I love that trait. And that's an incredible trait. And you, you acknowledge it because then, and you, then you say, what do you feel? How do you feel about that part of you? Like, what is that? What is that like for you? And then it's always them going back into themselves going, you know, I love that part of me. That's a part of me that I am so proud of. And I can have a child come home. Like daughter used to do it all the time and say, I am so proud of myself. Aww. And I would say, congratulations. Yeah. So That's I want, hard. I want them to be proud of themselves for their effort proud of themselves for the traits and characteristics that they feel proud of, but not <laughs> make it about me and whether I'm proud of them for that. It's almost irrelevant, but I do want to acknowledge it and let them know that I saw the effort or I saw the kindness and that touched my heart. Right. And so I'm in it with them, but it's not about them meeting my proud, like line. Yeah. 
I think why it feels challenging is I, I'm thinking like specific example, like my, my son came home with like a packet of stuff that he had done at school and he was so excited to show me what he'd done, right? Like I could see the pride in his eyes, like looking for like, basically like, mommy, are you proud of me? You know? And I was like, look at what you did. You did such a good job. You did these by yourself. And I feel like that's essentially me putting you know, and I did feel proud of him. I felt like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're able to do all of this already. But I guess, I don't know. It's like, sounding a little bit like acknowledgement to me. I mean, yeah, maybe it's a you really thing. were acknowledging him. You were saying congratulations. I, I agree with you. If I were you, I'd be proud of myself too. Okay. So, you know, you're, 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 I mean, it's one of those, it's like, I do, I spend like weeks on this, you know, praise versus acknowledgement because it can be confusing. Mm -hmm. The easiest way for, I think, parents to just start grounding themselves in the principles are to understand that you can be with your child in their excitement and you can say to them, congratulations, how do you feel about that? I admire, I respect. Mm -hmm. And you can share that, you know, yeah, I really admire the way you dealt with that. Yeah. I respect you so much, all the effort that you put in. That, that's so impressive. You know, you can do all that. Just hang away from the good job. You make me so proud. <laughs> you know, the stuff so that makes hard. it about you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm thinking even like potty training, right? Like to bring it back down to the younger age again, it's like that she's been doing it kind of on her own in the evening, just you know, we have, and she feels it and she goes and she's done it a few times that I have said, I'm proud of you. And, but there are a couple of times where I've been like, you know, you did that, you felt that, and you told me, and you walked yourself over there and you did that all by yourself. Like, that's amazing. Um, and so trying to, it almost feels to me like you are putting the, the emphasis on the buildup or the lead up to the thing they accomplished. Like, oh, you thought it through, you put a lot of effort into that, yeah. you know, versus like you did this thing, which like the thing can yeah. be fine too. But, but that thing that I'm putting the attention on really it disregards all of the stuff that went, went into you doing this thing. Hmm. That right. feels a little bit more like the buildup um, to like that, that self-esteem. It's like, oh, I, I had tenacity. I had, you know, determination. Yes. I, I yes. attention to my body, whatever we're talking about. Yes. Those are the things that I want you to pay attention to, right? Not just yes. yourself. Yeah. You've got it perfectly said. It really is about them being able to say, oh, I, I'm, I am, I'm tenacious or I work hard or yeah. I stick things. I don't give up. I keep trying, you know, I, I, and I, 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 so then they have that sense of this is who I am. Yeah. I am that person who works so hard. I am that person who doesn't give up. I am that person who, you know, is committed, um, or who cares, who is kind who you know, shares, uh, whatever it is, right. Like that sense of rather than good girl. Yes. You're a good girl for doing that, which is that idealized sense of now, how do I stay in the good category? How, how do I keep getting that, like that juice I get, you know, when I'm doing the good stuff mm -hmm. where it's like, am I, am I still good when I, when I stand up for myself or is that when I become bad because it makes you upset? Like it gets right. like, I don't want to, I don't want to get stuck in this land of idealized sense of self where I'm only feeling good about myself. If I get those kinds of words coming back to me. And I also only feel good about myself when you feel good about me. Exactly. Which can then and translate way outside the parental relationship, right? Then we start seeing the codependency and all the things that come up after the fact. Yeah. yeah. And we don't have the ability to discern as children. And so 
I was, I was telling a story of a coaching call on Monday nights. I was telling a story about when um, there was, my daughter was being bullied at school um, and excluded on the playground. And there was a really powerful girl who would say to the other little girls, don't play with Pia on the playground today. Mm-hmm. And Pia was coming home and like, I hate school. I don't want to go to school. I was like, what's going on? So well, nobody's playing with me on the playground. And there's this girl who tells everybody not to play with me. And then they don't. And I was like, oh my gosh. And when I brought it to the counselor at school, she said, I'm going to talk to the followers. And she would bring the followers into her office one by one. She never even spoke to the ringleader and said, you know, how do you feel about excluding P on the playground? And they were like, I hate it. Mm -hmm. You know, well, why are you doing it? Well, because I don't know how to say no when she tells us to do it. They did even at at a young age to a peer who was, you know, equally like six-year-olds to six-year-olds, a strong peer had power over them because they had learned that whoever is the, you know, the, the biggest, boss, most, quote unquote. yeah, the boss person, you just do as you're told. What they say goes, yeah. What they say goes. And I, even if I don't agree with it, even if it violates my values, I go with it. And so she said, I'm going to teach you how to say no when people something pleasing. Oh God. I feel that. So and so these little, these little people learned how to say no. And the next day when the ringleader said, don't play with pee on the playground, they were able to say back to her, no, I'm not going to do that because I don't feel good about it. I wouldn't like to be in her shoes. Mm-hmm. They learned how to stand up and say no to the bully. And I mean, it changed. I think it. I mean, obviously it instantly changed the dynamic on the playground and it instantly, all of a sudden it wasn't about, I hate school or this, that, or the other thing. It was truly about, um, oh, school's fine. I love school. A great friend. Yeah. I mean, it was just like all over in a nanosecond. As soon as we create a culture in our schools where we don't like ignore and stand by and, you know, recess is the most dangerous time of the entire day because that's the unsupervised playtime. And that's where, I don't know what triggered this other girl that she needed to exclude Pia in order to feel better about herself. That's a whole nother conversation. But as a result of having at least a professional on campus to start working with followers and empower them to say no, they were able to change the dynamic. It's so interesting, you know, just even as I'm listening to you, like, and and you're saying the thing, people pleasing, I do think that there's different levels of the ways that our children, you know, like just their innate ways of being, you know, my, my son has some of that tenacity that you're talking about as well. Like, it's just fascinating the extent to which he will not be controlled. He will not be told what to do. And I like, I tell his dad constantly, I'm like, he's got tons of Aries energy. Like you can keep fighting this kid, but it's going to be that forever. And I think, I don't, I don't even know what my question is, I guess, except is more of our work to just sort of hands off when that is what that child is versus like, I don't know, like there's something in like, um, I feel like a lot of times we feel like we have more work to do as parents than we actually do, where they are sort of <laughs> innately who they are. I don't know if like I'm articulating, but that's what is coming. Well, up. you know, what I, what's come to mind when you said that is that, you know, I, I might've said this last time, I'm not really sure, but would you be willing to like, that is like the big sentence. Everybody write it down. Would you be I'm willing like, to? I'm writing that down. Yeah, write it down. Would you be willing to? Yeah, Thank because you, if you say to a child, hey, you know, would you be willing to? 
then an autonomous child gets to choose if they would be willing to or not. <laughs> but what if you, what if you really want the answer to be yes? Yeah. This is the tricky thing as a parent, right? <laughs> right. Well, I have a good example. So, so again, Pia, God bless her. She's my example for everything. But Pia had at one time in her life, like she was like passionate about animals. Everything was about animals. She was going to be a veterinarian. And at like a very young age, she printed out like what it took to get into vet school. And it was like <laughs> downloaded, it was by her bed. And she was like going to hit those markers. She was going to do this and voila. So I heard about this um, horse whisperer who was coming to town. Hmm. Exalted, incredible woman, had her own show, voila. And I said, oh my God, this is incredible. A friend of mine called me up. Hey, she's running some, this would be perfect for your daughter. She's got this workshop going on that day. And it was a school holiday. So I was like, oh, this is amazing. So I went to Pia and I said, you know, oh my God, this is so great. You know, this woman, she's a horse whisperer, she's coming. Do you want to go? And she thought for a minute and she was like, mm, no, thank you, mommy. <laughs> so I'm so not okay with that, right? So just like you were saying, but, like, but what know. if you're not okay with the no? What if you, and I was like, not okay with the no. I just intuitively, I knew that she needed to be there. Yeah. And I was, but so I was like, okay, you know, practicing what I preach. If they say no to me, they're saying yes to something inside of themselves. So that. the no to me was a yes to something inside. I'm like, okay, so I'm, I'm thinking, well, so is it cause it's a holiday? Yeah, mom, it's a holiday. I never get to do just whatever I want to do. And I don't want to go do school on my holiday. And I bet no, none of my friends are going to be there and it's all day. And I bet there aren't any real animals. And I was like, got it. Mm -hmm. So I took myself away. I called everybody we know. I was like, did you hear about this? You know, and, and I called the instructor and I said, hey, less is more. Would you be okay with like a, just a half day thing for just a couple of hours? And will there be animals? And I got all the details. And then I went back to P and I said, okay, here's the deal. So-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so is coming. And, you know, they're bringing their guinea pig and their dog and their, you know, all these animals are going to be there and it's only two hours. Oh, okay. I'll go. I was like, okay, great. So I listened to what she was saying yes to inside. And then I was able to work with that. And so she didn't want to go all day. She didn't want to go if there weren't animals. She didn't want to go if her friends weren't going to be there. It's like, okay. And so I worked all that stuff out. Of course she gets there and then she begs me to stay all day. Of course. And then after she gets there, she begs me to take school off the next day because this lady's going out to look for the endangered pink dolphins in the South China Sea. And I was like, okay. <laughs> So I was like, fine. This is that. why your parental intuition was like, this yeah, I totally knew this. And yeah. then she went to, you know, to, to uh, around the world with this woman, you know, I mean, it was amazing. It was an important person for her to meet in her life. Mm -hmm. And so, no, I didn't take no for an answer, but I didn't keep going. You're going down. You know, I was, mm -hmm. I knew that wouldn't work because right. she'd get there and she'd be like, you know, and she would have hated it. And she was going to prove that I couldn't use power over her. And she was going to go into the three R's retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. Cause that's what we activate. Let's not forget about those three R's. Mm -hmm. When you use power over you activate retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. And 75% of behavioral disruptions are retaliation, rebellion, and resistance. So when people come to me to talk about their problem child, I just lean in and listen to hear for one of the three R's. And I always hear one of the three R's. Every problem child is actually exhibiting the secondary problem, mm -hmm. the reaction to the power being used over them. It's not the primary issue. And if they want to eliminate all the R's, then they have to change to a guidance approach to parenting. Right. 
and be able to listen and acknowledge that a child's a human being and that there's something going on inside of them and that you're going to be with that too and that you're not the only one who's just like pushing, pushing, pushing. So that's how you do it. When they say no to you, they're saying yes to something inside of themselves. So what are they saying yes to? And get curious, like you said a minute ago, right? You get curious about what that is. And when you get curious about what that is, it changes the dynamic to connection. Like, I'm actually really interested, like, what is going on for you? Like, you know, I can see you really don't want to go and, or, you know, whatever it is. And then you get all this information, you get flooded with information. It's like, oh, okay. It's really interesting. I'm just, you know, we had a little bit of a conversation about like Jung's work last time you were here. And I very much believe in synchronicity, Catherine. And I feel like you came on in a moment where I didn't even realize how much I needed to talk to you, but this Aww. is just so deeply helpful because I have a four-year-old who is just so in the space of asserting self and, you know, like those three R's are like run amok They're right everywhere. Now. Yeah. <laughs> They're all <laughs> over the place. And I'm like, oh, I can't I barely move in my room. I feel like I'm failing at life. Um, I told today the other day, another parent said something about their four-year-old and they were like, oh yeah, haven't you heard? They call it the fuck you force. And I was like, wow, that is such a way like, to look at it. It's so yeah, true. literally where I am right now, but yeah. it's such a good frame, so like helpful. reminder, it's a developmental thing, right? Like we have to remember that like their ego goes through very specific stages of development. And so it has zero to do with you and everything mm. to do with them, you know? Yeah. And of course, if you're using power over, it's just going to be, it's just going to be a mess. Right. It's that knocking, knocking horns, like you were saying earlier. Yeah, completely, so completely. I have to kind of like like change a little bit because I do want to ask you this question because it's something that Zanae and I talked about being curious about before we got on. I'm curious. So the last time we talked, November 2020, I mean, really, it was only a year ago, and yet it kind of feels like 10 years ago. Like we've been through so much in such a yeah. short amount of time. Um, you know, and doing the work that you do, I guess the question I have is really around what have you seen? I'm not even really sure how to pose this question. It's like, what have you seen in this last 18 months to kind of, now we're creeping on almost two years, right? Um, The pandemic, like people being stuck at home together. I mean, parenting has become, I think, so much harder. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, we're all under great stress. We're all kind of functioning in this fight or flight response almost constantly. I mean, it is slowly starting to to lessen. And then all of a sudden it snaps back too, right? So I can't even say that. And I'm just curious, I guess, from your perspective, like, what have you seen? What are you noticing? Have you feel, do you feel like any of the the parenting advice or guidance that you give has had to change because of this, or, you know, has it altered the way you look at anything? I don't know. That's a big question. I guess I'm just looking for, you know, your thoughts. On this yeah. Well, you know, I'll just give you some of the stories. And so, you know, they usually tell a lot of, of what's been going on for the families that I've gotten to work with. And I know that for one of the families, um, what happened was that their child didn't do very well at home mm-hmm. because, she was the kind of kid who really needed a classroom and she needed the structure of a classroom. She needed to be able to go in and have like someone at the front of the room, not on a you know computer. And then after the computer screen goes black, be responsible for everything. So the kids who have really strong executive functioning skills did fine. Yeah. The kids who don't have really strong executive functioning skills who need the container did not do fine. And she was a cheerleader. This particular gal was a a cheerleader and she was so excited because school started again, but then they wouldn't let her be a cheerleader anymore because her grades fell. Mm. And I was like, okay, 
I mean, as you know, as your coach, I, yeah. I was like, either you call the school <laughs> or I will, yeah. or I'm calling the school because yeah, <laughs> we are not going to let this happen. This is so not okay with me, you know, global um, pandemic and, people. Come yeah. on. <laughs> exactly. There's some leeway a little bit, please. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And I said, this is just unacceptable. You know, yeah. we have kids who have suffered and gotten by and done the best they could. And then I used like USC because my daughter was at USC at the time and USC went to pass fail for anybody who wanted it. Hmm. And they allowed you to go to pass fail even after your grades came in. Hmm. So, I mean, they accommodated that, you know, my daughter finished her last year at USC on a sofa in Denver, right? I mean, it was like unprecedented. And, and, and we're talking about people who aren't going to get to be cheerleaders anymore because their grades fell in a high school. Ah, no. (laughs) Shame on you. Outrage. Outrage. However, to their credit, after there was a phone call and I didn't make the phone call, I empowered that parent to do it. Mm -hmm. And they were just assertive. They weren't horrible. They just called up and said, you know, look, I'm really, I'm really upset about this. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was hoping we could maybe have a conversation. Would you be willing, there it is, to talk with me about, you know, what's happening with my daughter. And, you know, she didn't do well from home. It was so hard for her. And anyway, the school was like, you know what? We hadn't thought about that. Mm. Which is like, and, really? You hadn't thought about yeah. that? And, <laughs> like, um, that. And, yeah. and you're right. We're going to, we're going to, we're just going to put that rule aside right now. Which is, you know, you can't fall below a certain academic standard. And if you do, you can't be on the football team or you can't do and all this kind of stuff. And so she, she was able to get back on the team. And I was personally very happy because that was one of the ways that she felt good about herself. You know, she was able to go out there and that gave her joy and it gave her connection and community and friendship. And all of a sudden, the one part of her life that she was, she rocked that was taken away because of this other thing. And we're back in the land of, rewards and punishments right. and it, it's due, you know, we're, we're going to go. So it's not about what you do to someone. It's about if they're struggling, then, well, what is going on for you? It sounds like you really needed some extra support. And with the pandemic and nobody getting together in person, you weren't able to get it. Let's get you what you need now. Mm. Let's get so underneath like this. An increase in compassion, curiosity, and an attempt to understand. I mean, it, it feels yeah. like those three things, I mean, they should be there always anyway, but even they more should. so in the last 18 months, like really needing to, to strengthen or tap into those abilities, I think for kids has been so important. Well, and yeah. parents has been so important. So that has been, I mean, that's one of many stories of what it's really been like for parents whose kids were not, I mean, I have somebody who was telling me about one of their kids who really has like, like loved being at home, mm-hmm. like rocked it has all of those like executive functioning skills, boom, 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 gets everything done in like an iota of the time and then gets to go out and just like, Hmm. this is my oyster. (laughs) Yeah, this is my oyster. I am loving this. I never want to go back. I can do so much. I can do it so fast and I can have so much more time. Those kids love this. Mm -hmm. And then there are the other ones like the girl I just spoke about who it's not been fun. It's not been easy and they haven't felt good about themselves. And there is some social anxiety too. Like another one of my clients is uh, not sure how to reintegrate. Yeah. Is anxious about, you know, COVID. Um, And some of the kids in class, you know, are not going to wear masks, for example. And there's still that thing going on. And Mm -hmm. it's divisive. I know, like, there are probably tons of people on this, you know, podcast who are going to listen and be like, yeah, they shouldn't wear masks. And 
Others are like, yeah, they should wear masks. But I don't have the answer to that. All I know is that it's um, it's it's tricky. And it's causing mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety for our kids. It's tricky. It's causing a lot of anxiety. And these, you know, public health policies, whether you're pro this or pro that or whatever, they're always tricky. And the more we can be in that space of now, tell me a little bit more about what, you know, your perspective is again, you know, rather than, you know, I'm going to tell you why you're wrong. (laughs) Do this. You're going to do this because I said so. It's so funny. You know, I I work with a lot of couples and I feel like so I'm so struck by how much so much of what you're saying feels so similar to the tools that I use with couples. It's really just meeting another person with curiosity in terms of like how they process the world versus how you process the world. And I think a lot of times like we just really want someone to be experiencing the world the same way that I do. And I think Mm -hmm. that is true of our kids as well, right? Can I be curious about what is happening for you? What this feels like for you that might be very different than how I'm experiencing it or I might react, you know? Well, and, and also that, to, to speak on that today, it's like that comes back to as a parent, if I am so desperately, and again, unconscious, so it's not like there's malicious intent necessarily for yeah. the most part, but if I am so desperate to have the world seen through my eyes, that I put that onto my child, there's something about that that I need to look at, right? Like there is some inner child healing work that I need to do around validating myself so that I don't need my child to validate it for me. Right. And so many of us walk around doing that. Like you said, whether we're doing it to our partner or whether we're doing it to our couple, it's like, we don't understand that the crux of so much of this, you know, putting it on other people and this desire to be seen and known is such a childhood wound um, that we're going to continue walking around, throwing other people until we really get in and and try to heal that at the source. Yes, absolutely. That's it. That's exactly it. That whole idea that children are people too. Mm. And we spoke about last time, you know, like for me that the big, the big thing, the big thing that doesn't happen is separation and individuation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that big one. I, I, you know, I know for myself and maybe you guys have had that experience as well. Of, I mean, seriously, if I know I'm older than you at 50, I realized, oh my God, I never separated and individuated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whoa, how did that not happen? And it was not allowed. It was considered a betrayal. That's how it didn't happen. It was like your life depended on not doing it. Yes. So you do it and, you know, and, and your life is at stake. You'll pay big time for it. And that actually that's locked in right now. That's locked in, in so many different ways where it is really all about I'm right. And if I have to break you, for you to acknowledge that I'm right, then so be it. And I will be doing you a disservice if I don't. God, I feel like you're speaking about the collective right now. Like, I am. I know. Like, exactly. I'm just so struck by like, oh, if we can all just meet everybody with a little bit more curiosity versus like certainty that my side of the aisle is right. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And we can see how it starts in our family. Mm -hmm. right? Our little family of origin where these little dynamics are playing out between us and our parents. And then those little dynamics become the world stage, Mm -hmm. which is why, you know, heal a family, heal the world. We just need to start at home. And if we can all just have conversations with our family members, that in and of itself, we can heal those relationships. Then we might be able to heal these relationships but it's hard for us to start working at this level 
when we can't heal the relationships at the micro. So, you know, sometimes people are like, oh, I want to make such a difference in the world. And I'm like, well, then, you know, maybe you could start talking to your sister. I know it's been 15 years, but, you know, maybe we could just start there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and maybe if we can figure out how to like build that bridge, then, you know, then we might be able to build that other bridge over here. You know, we can take on the Palestinian crisis a little later. (laughs) It's true though, right? It's real though. Yeah. I mean, it's healed thyself. It's like, you know, going out and running around trying to fix other world's problems, I mean, is commendable. And also, where do you learn those skills? Where do you learn the the nervous system ability to tolerate and handle the conflict and this and that all the, everything that goes into that, right? It's like, well, within the walls of your home. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's Ron Doss, you've probably heard that. So you think, you know, so you think you're enlightened? You know, go home for the weekend. Go spend a yeah, weekend with your like, family. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I can we do were... that save in the Himalayas. I've nailed it. There's yeah. nobody there. There's nothing to trigger me. <laughs> we were adjusting that quote this weekend to have a child. If you think you're enlightened, <laughs> go ahead and have a kid and then yeah. see how enlightened somebody, you are. I, I'm trying to think of what quote it was. I, I can't remember who said it, but it was something about how um, having a child essentially disrupts like your ability to think that you're this perfect person, like that you think you're this great person then you have a kid and it completely throws that out the window, oh right? Like I'm such a good person. Wait, no, I'm not. I'm struggling. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. So there's that whole sense of, you know, within our own families, like what does it take to heal those relationships? And, um, and, and we, we just, you know, I, I know for myself that, you know, the dynamics and all of the things that I got to work around and with have honed my skills, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, it really is that, you know, okay, I'm just going to appreciate that I rock at this because <laughs> I got to, yeah. because I got to. And, um, and if we can turn that into that as an opportunity and, and look at it as, you know what, everybody is always doing their best. I do. I, I mean, I know that's debatable, but I do believe that. Yeah. And it is whatever they're like, like, what is their world paradigm? What, what is it that is that space that I'm working from and working within? And that's the one that we're working with, right? Going past those like boxes that we believe that we're supposed to do and the should list and all the rest of it. And I think that's where the love and the compassion kind of transcend. Well, I ch- you choose ability. to believe that. It's like, I choose to believe that everybody is showing up and doing their best. And if I act out of my choice to believe that I'm going to come at people with compassion and curiosity rather than, you know, you're not doing this, <laughs> you're not doing it right. It's like, maybe they're not, but I'm going to choose to believe that regardless, you're, you're doing the best that you possibly can in this moment. And that really takes away the finger pointing and really opens even like, and as I'm saying it, like the felt sensation of my body, it opens me up to being like, what's going on for you. Yes. Right. Yes. It's so true. And every time, you know, I get triggered, it's always for me just like, oh, wow. Okay. Like, what is that about? Yep. What's going on for me? Right. Yeah. Always, what is I'm that pointing about? that finger with three more pointing back at me. And obviously whatever you're doing is activating some part of me that I have disowned. Right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And just knowing that, and that was so beautifully said that, you know, that gives me a context that gives all of us a context to be able to be with that something. To be able to turn toward that something, not to be identified with that something, but to be bigger than that something, but to know it's there. And, you know, that's one of those like context holders for me is to get bigger than what's bugging you, but to be with what's bugging you. 
And so that there's that capacity to be with, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I think we have a felt sense in our bodies of noticing like, yeah, there is, there's a something and it's, you know, it's right here, you know, in the nape of my neck and, or, you know, it's in the middle of my chest and I can feel it like that thing just got activated from this event, this external something that happened. And it's giving me an opportunity to be in touch with a part of me that I have no contact with. And I'm so thankful you can say to this person that activated it, thank you for bringing this up for me. (laughs) And when you talk, you know, about your son and his dad and like that, you know, that thing that gets into it, I would say he could turn that into a thank you. Mm. But that's, that's the other side of it, right? Like these children do end up being these unbelievably powerful mirrors for our unhealed inner children, right? Like all of the things that we have disowned in ourselves, all of the things that we felt shamed around or, you know, had to suppress within us, like here it is being presented all of your activations for you to say, okay, so how can I meet myself with so much compassion around the fact that I never got to feel these things that I'm feeling so deeply triggered around as I see them in my child. Should you choose to accept that challenge? That is the mission. Absolutely. That is the mission. The mission is that your teacher arrived. Mm. Your teacher's about this tall. Your guru (laughs) has arrived. Your teachers come through and they're now living in your house. It's like Yoda, right? You know, I see everything around in your house. Yoda. And at some point you, you know, you, you see the child in the room going, oh my God, they're just not ready. You know, they're not going to be. Yes. Luke Skywalker, you know, I'm sorry. You just, you're not good enough. You can't be a Jedi. <laughs> little kids sitting over there going, oh, I came. They're not ready for me. They're not going to be Jedis in this they're lifetime. <laughs> I just feel like I just had such a picture of my son looking at us like, y'all ain't ready. Uh, <laughs> You're uh, ready for Jedi training. <laughs> just shaking their heads like it would disdain, clicking uh, their tongue. Yeah, That's amazing. exactly. <laughs> but I mean, it's so, I did this with a client the other day. I was just like, okay, I just need you to look at your, you know, because they're about this big, you know, just think of Yoda, like standing, you know, and he's doing the exercise. He's got his Yoda there. That's your child. They are your Yoda. But it's a very different way of looking at our children, right? Like I, I have this conversation a lot with my partner where I'm like, I mean, I know the storyline in the women in my family. It's like, we we carry with us the story that children come to us to make us happy, to fulfill our lives, to plug some kind of hole in our life, in our hearts, in our souls, right? And I think for generations, it's like kids have either been put there to work, <laughs> literally to work, or they're there to, to fulfill my life, right? Because my life is unfulfilled. And so this is the this is the thing I'm supposed to do to, to get that. And it 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 actually is a topic that I feel very passionate about because it feels very familiar in my, in my familial kind of lineage, but it, it makes me angry. Like it upsets Mm. me. I actually get really upset for those kids where it's like, that is not their role. That is not Mm. their job. And it is so unfair of you to put that expectation on Mm. them. You know, like Mm. your job is to fulfill yourself. Your kid's Mm -hmm. role is not that your kid is to be your teacher. That is their job. Mm -hmm. Um, But just so many people do not look at children that way. It's really Mm. unfortunate. No, I just, I mean, my heart is bursting with joy to listen to every word you just said, because I mean, I feel like I'm singing with the choir and that this little group here, ah, 
it's a job we've got, you know, yeah. it's a job we got that we got to let these children separate and individuate mm -hmm. and to be seen as the beautiful humans that they are. And that if they challenge us, that we celebrate that yes. and that they have the gumption and the voice. And it's like, yes, you know, sing it from the mountaintop. And it is, it's, it's profound yeah. because this idea that children are people too, is actually a profound idea. Mm that they aren't here to please us, that they aren't here to fulfill our unmet needs, that they don't fill that gap in my soul. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, it sounds like we've all experienced our own childhoods thinking that I will make you happy. Mm -hmm. I will fulfill you. Do You don't need to have that hole in you. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know if I shared this story last time, but I remember um, I had a sister who died when I, when I was in law school. And, um, and, you know, it was my second sibling to have lost and, and I just adored her. And I mean, for me, I was a great student. I was in the top third of my law school classes in my second year and all these big jobs lined up. And I was just like, you know what, I am going to take a leave of absence. I'm going to that little cabin in the woods right over there, you know, in upside Boulder. And I'm just going to go chop wood and carry water. Yeah. And I need to figure out like, what's it all about Alfie? And my parents freaked out and my mother sat there and, uh, you know, took me to dinner, tried to convince me to go back, you know, move back in, you know, get out of the cab. And I said, you know, mom, I feel like I've spent my whole life wanting to make you happy. And she said to me, oh my God, your brother told me the exact same thing. Oh, And that's when I was like, oh my God, this is like this is like a, this is like a, a permeates. Like a sickness, she of course like didn't a, even know it. She didn't even know it. And it's interesting that I remember you telling us that mm -hmm. Catherine, and it's like, we can have the awareness of something and sometimes not know how to stop it too. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Like, obviously like there was an awareness of like, there was no idea I'm that causing my child this. pain, but I don't yeah, know how to do something different. Yes. You know? Um, yeah. That's... Yeah, she perceived, I think I told you guys, she perceived that, you know, when he was struggling and he was in, he was in therapy and this and that. And I just remember her saying, it's always the mother's fault. Mm. Oh, that's she perceived it as blame. So familiar. <laughs> it's always the mother's fault. And I can remember at that young age for me, I was like, no, mom, you're great. You're amazing. You're, you know, it's like, she's pumping mom up. <laughs> and that's where the need to break it out of the blame game right? It's not your fault. You're not to blame, but there has to be some responsibility taken. Now we have to just be responsible for these, these, these deadly patterns. Yeah. They are deadly. They cause so much harm and they're so painful. And, and if we're stuck in, it's not my fault, or I won't be the one that's blamed and, and are obviously you're blaming yourself, yep. you know, stop blaming yourself and let's just get on and do the work together. Yes because we can just move past all of this. Mm -hmm. And we don't, if we get stuck in the whose fault it is world, well, it's nobody's fault. It just came down through the ages. It's societal. It's yeah. down. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah. We've been swimming in this bowl and it's got yeah. this water and it's polluted. And so we just clean up the act. Hmm. Yeah. It's like your dad said, it's, it's a better way, you know, I think. Way. I think it's, <laughs> yeah, it's a paradigm shift that we have to embrace. Like nobody's at fault here. It's just, there's a different way to do this. You know, there's a different way to 
live our lives. And I did actually share that story you just told with a friend of mine who is, you know, an adult woman in her forties, still completely living for her mother's approval and what her mother would say about this and what her mother wants. And, you know, I I was saying, I, I think that you have this idea that like, there's some thing that I'm supposed to do with my life that is going to make my mom feel proud of me. Like I've done enough for her. And that is actually what, not what I believe the purpose of life is. I believe the purpose of life is like Alan Watts said to live. That's it. Mm-hmm. Just to, you know, maybe go out into that cabin in the woods and chop some wood, whatever that looks like. But I think we really lose track of like what we're, we're supposed to do here. We're just supposed to experience this life, you know? And- did I tell you that this was like the guy's cabin? He was a student of Alan Watts. Did we mention that last time? No, I don't. That is so wild. (laughs) I literally, he had been one of Alan's students. He had everything Alan ever wrote, ever spoke, ever recorded. I literally was put into the Alan Watts (laughs) fishbowl when I did my chop wood carry water. And I was just, I, I love Alan Watts. I was like, hold on. Did I tell you about Alan Watts? (laughs) Synchronicity. I was just telling your story. That is amazing. Uh, (laughs) And he used to say, does it do us or do we do it? That's right. Does it do us or do we do it? And that pretty much boom right there, that one liner. You can just contemplate, contemplate. Does it do us? Does it do us? Does it do us? Or do we do it? Mm -hmm. Are we the victim or are we the source Mm -hmm. of our experience? Gosh, well, I think that's like, a perfect line. We could do this, like like could do this all day. Hours. I love that, that line to be like, "That's it, guys." Yeah, yeah. We just got a little sampling of Catherine, and we're gonna stop it there. <laughs> but so much wisdom, and I think yeah. you are so unbelievably helpful. Thank you for not only the way that you speak to parents with so much compassion, but that you give these tools that, to me, just feel like they're not shaming parents for what is really, really no. difficult to do. We all want to do right by our kids. We all feel. Yeah. Over- overwhelmed and like we're doing the best we can but I just I really appreciate the way that you speak so compassionately to parents because to me not everyone does that and I feel like it can just real feel like you're failing no matter what a lot of times with some of the parenting advice and it doesn't feel like I'm I have to read a script to be a good parent like it doesn't feel so robotic right which I think also can be the way that some of these people come at it it's like in this situation you say this when they say this you say this exactly and to your point it's like oh god what do I say you know yeah I used to teach that way you know I would say like 20 something years ago I used to have that whole script around you know like okay who's in the problem zone and if they're in the problem zone you do this so you're in the problem zone you do this you know like like the script and then I finally realized it's all about connection yeah that's it and if your heart is there Mm -hmm. and in all you're really interested in is that no matter what we connect on this and that you know that you know I'm just trying to understand you from your perspective and I have my own perspective but I love and adore you and that that never gets to come into question here Mm -hmm. then Almost all the words we use, because, you know, Marshall said, never listen to the words people use anyway, because the words they use are just going to take you off track. And it's not really about what's going on inside of them. They're using all these other words. So why does that matter? Hmm. So that did kind of free me up as a, you know, as a coach, as a teacher, as a trainer, is that, you know, all those scripts, yeah, they're, they're great, but that's like, that's like the 1.0 like version, the, the, the more advanced version is be present, be in your heart, Mm. be present, present. let the love lead the way. I mean, you know, it sounds like I'm, I've become so sappy as I get older, but it really is. As long as you feel that I love you, Mm -hmm. then I remember walking around the neighborhood. I'm over here in Venice beach. My sister, my daughter was super mad at me about something. It was not that long ago. 
and she was yelling at me and this and that. And I was walking around and I was not in the problem zone. Mm -hmm. So I was just like sending the love through my fingers. And, you know, like, I can see you're so mad at me. And, uh, you know, I just, I I love you so much. And, uh, you know, it's just like, we're going to get through this. And, uh, you know, and I just didn't get triggered. Mm -hmm. Because I just stayed in that. I can see how you're so mad at me because you think law. And I said, and I just, I just want us to get through this because you are the most important person. I adore you. And I, it hurts me that you're hurting. And so that that's it. You know, it's super simple. This parenting stuff, as long as you just stay in your heart and knowing that it's all about connection. What if we all had Catherine as a mother? Well, we love you, Catherine. Thank you so much for coming back. Yeah, I love you, are, you guys. Yeah, this really is appreciate so great. On. This is so helpful for me, for today. I think for everything. For everybody oh, listening. Love you guys. <laughs> a little love fest. All right, be well. We'll, we'll definitely have you all on right. maybe for the trifecta. Round we'll three. Yes. yes. Well, all right, guys. Talk to you I later. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Cheaper Than Therapy. If you enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to connect with us, you can find us on Instagram at Vanessa S. Bennett and at Danae Logan Selkin. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.